You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Welcome to episode 37 of the Upside Down Podcast. I will be your host today, Lindsay Wallace, and I have my regular, regular is such a not great sounding <laughs> word, but that's irregular. <laughs> My upside down co-hosts, Shannon and Kayla, say hello. Hey, everybody. Hello. Yeah, and before I introduced our guest today, Kayla wants to talk to you guys about something that we are excited about. Kayla wants to talk (laughs) fill in the blank. (laughs) Just the extrovert one. I just have a few things. Now I'm going to do the whole nine earrings. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we have a new thing that we're really excited about. It's Patreon. And you may have heard us talking about this online, but basically it's a tool that we are using to open up for listeners and for our Upside Down community to be able to help us keep this thing going. It's expensive to host a podcast, to edit a podcast, to pay for the domain and the tools that we need to make this possible. And because we've committed to not having ads on our episodes, we need you to come alongside us and help us do this thing. And so through Patreon, you can support us for $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. And through your help, we can keep having these conversations and keep everything free. So if you're interested in coming alongside us, we have some thank you gifts involved with that. And you can learn more at patreon.com slash upside down podcast, or you can just go to our website, upside down podcast.com and click um, giving and you can learn more that way. So just a quick, tiny, tiny plug for a way to kind of broaden the net and keep this thing going. Yeah. Thanks. So we are talking today about the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is something that we talk about amongst ourselves a lot. And we've, I think, maybe even thrown out, hey, should we do an Enneagram episode for at least the past year? But none of us are experts. And so we're like, eh, we don't know if that's really something we can talk about. Um, But we have an expert with us today. Before I introduce him, though, just for those of you who don't know, I'm going to let Jesse really dive into the Enneagram. But it's grown in popularity a lot in the in recent years, um, particularly it seems in Christian spheres, but maybe that's just because those are my spheres, and so I'm hearing about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode is going to be um, kind of a 30,000-foot view, and we're going to share later some resources and ways for people to dive deeper. So our guest today is Jesse Eubanks. Jesse is the founder and executive director of Love Thy Neighborhood, an urban missions agency providing young adults with social justice internships and Christian community. He's also the host of Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, a documentary storytelling program, which was recently number three on iTunes, which is exciting. He's also a certified instructor in the Enneagram of Personality. So Jesse leads workshops for nonprofits, ministries, and families. In fact, he was just here in Miami leading one for some folks down here that we know. Um, And so his role in that is helping people grow in their self-awareness and relational patterns. So Jesse, thanks for talking to us tonight. Yeah, glad to be here. So could you kick us off and share what is the Enneagram? And along with that, how does it differ from other maybe 
personality profile systems or other things that people might think of like Myers-Briggs and those? Uh, let me let me actually tell the story of how I first came across the Enneagram and then I'll tell you what, what the Enneagram is. So, you know, I was uh, working for an urban ministry and um, the leadership team just got to a point where our relationship with one another had really become extremely challenging. Uh, there was a lot of mistrust and we were arguing a lot and we were not getting along well. And at the same time, like we're out there talking about the gospel and we're, you know, sharing Christ with people, but behind the scenes, like none of us are doing well with each other. And that was when the Enneagram was first introduced to, uh, to all of us. And it was just like an eye opening experience because um, suddenly we understood why each of us was responding different to each of the situations that were coming up. Uh, we yeah. understood why each of us had the gifts that we did and why we had the, you know, the struggles that we did. And, um, and it really was, uh, revolutionary in our relationship for, with one another. Um, and then I was reintroduced to it, um, again, a couple of years after that, when, uh, my wife and I just went through a really bad season of marriage. We, we weren't getting along. We were, uh, arguing all the time. Uh, we didn't particularly want to be around each other. Uh, I was like a total pain at the time. And, um, <laughs> I was like, like a workaholic. Like I was like working all the time. And we were in a place where we needed some way forward. Like we had tried all the tools that we knew to try and things were not getting better. And so, um, so we ended up going to, to counseling. And as part of the counseling, uh, the Enneagram um, was was reintroduced to me. And so out of those two experiences, um, I really was able to enjoy like the beauty of the Lord at work in these really important relationships in my life. So it was just a really, really important experience. And so out of that, uh, I was like, I, I want to, you know, learn more about this. And so I end up going and um, uh, getting certified uh, as an instructor. And and then since that time have, you know, taught workshops on a regular basis and um, and developed a whole set of teaching materials around that. And um, so so back to your question, Lindsay, that was a, a long intro. So, uh, so what is the Enneagram? So the, the Enneagram is a personality tool um, that – Help, hopefully allows people to have much greater clarity about who they are. Um, the basic belief is that there are nine core personalities. Uh, every human being possesses all nine of these traits to some capacities. Uh, some components they possess greatly, others not as much. But each of us has a core type that we really, really resonate with. And, um, and the Enneagram is a tool for self-clarity. And self-clarity is really important. Uh, I mean, any of you guys ever hung out with somebody that has like no self clarity? You know, yes. you're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, it's like it's miserable, right? Like you're hanging out with the person and they have no idea how they're coming across, and they're like, you know, you're at a restaurant and they're like super rude to somebody, or they, you know, somebody makes a snarky remark, or you know, whatever. But just no self awareness, and it's just like terrible for everybody involved. And and that's true of all of us. Like when we have no self awareness, um, we are extremely vulnerable to self-deception. Um, so before we lie to anybody else, we lie to ourselves first. Um, and so so the Enneagram is just a tool that that works like a mirror. It's it's the ability to really see the good and the bad that exists inside of us. Yeah, I love that. That's actually one of the things that I really appreciate when I first came to know the Enneagram that was different from Myers-Briggs is the only, I know there are lots of others, but that's the one that I think is fairly common. Like Myers-Briggs 
those numbers never or letters never meant anything to me. And I also felt like it was very focused on like, these are all the great things about you. But we never talked about like, okay, what what are my struggles? Like, where am I falling short? Where can I do some work? And so that's one of the things I really liked about the Enneagram was it does show, you know, kind of like that shadow side of like, here's where you're operating when you're less healthy, maybe. So are there other, how else would you say, Jesse, that the Enneagram differs from other personality profiling tools. Yeah, it's just really robust. Like it it it's not reductionistic. Mm-hmm. Um I think one of the mm-hmm. things that I really like about it is that it doesn't boil us down into something very simple. So Jesse, this is Kayla. Can I pop in here and say that and I would just love to hear your talk kind of perspective on this before we dive into the nine types is I've seen a lot of reductionist thinking about the Enneagram. Like there's a lot like really shortened, really like simplified. And, you know, that's how we work as people as we like to try to synthesize into smaller, you know, easy to chew on kind of boxes and ideas. But I, what I appreciate about the Enneagram is it is so nuanced. So what, you know, what would you say when I feel like it's, as it's grown in popularity, it started to get a lot more, I don't know, like there's coffee mugs that say, number three is this and number one is this and there's t-shirts and there's posters and there's this and that and the other. And it really kind of stereotypes each number. Can you speak into that before we kind of do our brief introduction to all the numbers? Like, is that okay? Or are we missing out when we do that? Yeah. I mean, we totally use the Enneagram to like punk each other around the office, you know, like we, we like love to like (laughs) be like, oh yeah, you totally just did that because you're a two, you know? And, um, and, uh, that's not always helpful. And, and, and none of us really like being reduced to just like, oh, my motivation is just because I'm a, you know, X, Y, or Z. So, you know, I mean, like all truth, like, yeah, there's, there's some truth in those stereotypes. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you really can't reduce an individual into, you know, one small box. Um, one person that, that went through the workshop with us actually said, um, when I started taking it, I, I didn't want to because I was positive you were going to try to put me in a box. But by the end of the Enneagram, what I realized is you had actually set me free from the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think definitely as all, all tools, it can be abused. I mean, the, the perfect tool is scripture and it gets abused constantly. Um, and so the Enneagram is a lesser tool, you know, we definitely can abuse that. So, so I think that what I would say is this is just, it, it can be abused. We have to be aware of the tendency to do that. And, um, and it doesn't take away from its value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what makes it robust and how, you know, we talk about there are nine types, but really there's way more than nine types. So what does yeah. that look like? Yeah. So there's, okay, so there's there's nine different personality types. And of those nine, there's also three triads, uh, three personality types per triad. And within those nine types, there's your uh core scores and there's your resourceful scores and there's your non-resourceful scores and all of those are zero to a hundred. So what ends up happening so is sorry, like, with these scores, you know, is that a, is that a test or is there like a specific inventory for that for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a test. So you would, you would go and fill out, um, a profile and there's, there's lots of different options for how to do it. Um, maybe, maybe at the end, you guys going to recommend some 
you know, some websites maybe. Um, but there's a, there's an online test, there's written tests that you can take. And what it ends up doing is it ends up kicking out essentially a profile on you. And, uh, if you guys remember like that scene in the matrix where the guy's sitting there staring at the screen and it's all numbers, but he's like (laughs) saying like, no, I see pictures like that. That's kind of like the Enneagram, like it all just looks like gibberish to people. But, um, like to me, I look at it and I, I can actually see what, what the implications of those numbers are. And so, um, so yeah, so it's going to, it's going to kick out a profile and, um, and essentially depending on the, the numbers that come back, uh, that's telling me, um, we always use the tool analogy. So your total score is all about, um, if there's nine tools sitting on the floor in the room, your total score is telling me how likely you are to pick up one of those tools. Then you have a resourceful score and it says, once that tool is in your hand, how likely are you you to use that resourcefully or your non-resourceful score? How likely are you to be using it non-resourcefully? So we're going to look at how likely are you to pick up the tool? How likely are you to, once you have that tool, you're using it resourcefully or non-resourcefully? And, you know, a lot of folks are equal opportunity. You know, they swing the hammer forward and then they swing it back and hit somebody in the head. So it, it cuts both ways. <laughs> So yeah, so you know, so Lindsay, back to your question. It, it's it's just a really robust tool. I, you know, I think Myers Briggs is wonderful. I think it's got its place. You know, there's there's tons of other things out there. You know, there's a disc profile and, um, but mm-hmm. what I love about this one is that um, I I love how in, in particular some really really great Christian uh, leaders and thinkers um, have really been able to. Uh, to run this through scripture in a really, really wonderful way where, um, you know, each of the nine personality types have a core sin that they struggle with. And, um, and, you know, the Lord speaks to that. Like, so I love the fact that it's customized. It, It moves us past like generically talking about sin or generically talking about our gifts. And it moves us into specificity. Like we're going to be specific Mm -hmm. and here's how the Lord has customized his presence in your life and here's how he's customized his response to your struggles um and and enneagram just opens up those conversations awesome well let's join jump in can you walk us through the nine types yeah yeah for all the type a personalities out there we're actually going to start we're going to (laughs) start at number two um so sorry we're going to cycle back around to number one um uh-oh. So, uh, so the nine types. First, uh, let me establish the triad. So personality two, three, and four is known as the heart triad. And the heart triad, these folks, uh, they perceive life primarily through their emotions. Um, they process life. Um, sorry, they see the world in terms of connections. And they, they process their life through their emotions. Um, they present as highly relational people. Um, so all of life is about connections and connecting with other people. Um, they adapt quickly to see what other people want, like they perceive what other people want. Um, now this, every triad has an underlying emotion that they're struggling with. And the underlying emotion for the heart triad is shame. And shame is this idea that, that I am defective, that there, there is something wrong with me. Um, and, so as a result of that, their existential question that they struggle with through life is, who am I? So they, they get preoccupied with the question of, who am I? It's an identity question. So uh, so that's the heart triad. Then we've got the head triad. 
And the head triad, these folks, uh, they see the world in terms of finding a safe place and a safe way forward. And so they, these are observers and they do it through organization. They, they process primarily through their minds. Um, and as a result of that, they can actually come, become out of touch with their bodies and their emotions as a result. They just can get really lodged inside their heads. Um, they present themselves as stable, as having things figured out, and, uh, and they often really earn the trust of other people because they come across as so steady and stable. Um, these folks, their underlying emotion is fear. And, um, and as a result of that, their existential question is not who am I? Theirs is where am I? So where am I in relationship to uh, truth? Where am I in relationship to safety? Where am I in relationship to joy or rather away from pain? So that's the, uh, that's the head triad folks. And they're, they're, they're five, six, seven. Is that right? Yep. So that's five. Yep. That's exactly right. Five, six, seven. And then, uh, and then eight, nine, and one, these folks are gut triads. So the way that these folks perceive, they, they see life as a struggle that's coming against them and it has to be fought against in order to accomplish goals. And these folks, they tend to hold their ground rather than adapt. Um, they process the world through an intuitive sort of sixth sense, which is why we call them the gut triad. So it's not their emotions. And it's not thinking. They just have like super deep street smarts, like street instincts. They present themselves as grounded in the moment because the energy of their instincts is felt so profoundly and directly. And uh, the folks in the gut triad, their underlying emotion is guilt. It's it's a sense that uh, I did not do something I should have done or I did something for which I am guilty. And that kind of haunts them. And so as a result of that, their existential question that they struggle with is, how am I doing? It's very uh, behavior-based, um, action-based. And so, uh, so that's, the, that's the folks in the, the gut triad. You guys got any questions before I dive into the specific types? I feel like I'm already in therapy. So yeah. Just go <laughs> yeah, I think. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Taking notes. Well, well, let me let me throw out one more thing uh, before I before I dive into the specific types, and that's this: we we tell people that if they if they can really know their own life story and share that with somebody else, if you can take your life story and put it next to your enneagram, um, the self clarity is just off the charts. And in fact, the guys that that trained us in this, the guys that certified me, they said that on average, you can save six months as a counselor working with somebody. You move forward in time six months just by knowing their life story and their Enneagram type. Because the first six months, typically in counseling, you're just mm-hmm. guessing. You're like, maybe this is the issue. Maybe this is the issue. And the Enneagram plus their life story mm-hmm. really, really helps you um, you know, identify the pressure points and the areas of need that this person has. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we actually, you know, at Love Thy Neighborhood, we actually help have people map out their life story. We have them identify the, the 20 biggest turning points in their life. And uh, we actually follow Donald Miller's uh, storyline materials. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great resource. So you can Google it. I think it's free now on his, on his website. So uh, Google Donald Miller storyline life mapping. And uh, you fill that out plus the Enneagram, you're going to be in good shape. All right. So um, let's dive in. So we'll, we'll start at uh, personality type number two. Number two, they are known as the helper. And um, these folks are like 
awesome. I mean, they're, they're oftentimes, uh, these are like the nurses. Uh, these are the folks that when you're sick, they're going to show up and bring you like soup and, you know, they're, they're going to take care of you. Um, they're, they're really caregiving personalities and they're relationally oriented. Uh, they're generous. Um, generosity, fundamentally, they believe generosity is the best way to live, um, to give of self to other people. So as a result of that, they're very unselfish people, um, very nurturing and very compassionate. So that that's all the resourceful side. Now, on the non-resourceful side of this personality type, they can get to a point where they actually need to be needed. So they can actually seek out other people or scenarios um, where the need is really high, and that is in order to cover their own shame. So they get to a point where they need to be needed. They have an exaggerated need to be validated. They become overprotecting. So uh, somebody else, um, they start protecting other people from things that they don't really need to be protected from. Uh, they become intrusive. You guys ever seen um, Everybody Loves Raymond and like the mom? Do you guys know? Robert. Yes. Yes, because it's my mom. Okay, so yeah. My parents are both too. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, classic. Like, she's like always in their business, always like doing things, even though they don't want her to. Like, she has to be needed. So, that's like your classic too. Um, like, like terrible boundary issues. So, uh, they become angry actually if if they're underappreciated, if they feel taken for granted. Uh, a lot of anger comes out. So, um, we say they have really, really long fuses. But um, if they don't feel appreciated, like that fuse goes out really fast. Um, and this is a really big one. This is this is almost one of their their most fundamental fundamental struggles is that they deny their own needs. So to have needs feels selfish. So they and and, and the thing is this: they usually have n- no understanding of their needs. So if somebody says, "What do you need?" Yeah. they'll say, "I don't know," and they're not they're not doing it on purpose, they legitimately have trained themselves to not know that um, because it feels so selfish. So they, they become people pleasers as a result of that. Does that all, does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So let, let me pack, unpack a couple more things related to that personality type before we, before we go on. So, um, so every personality type has a deadly sin. Um, and for the helper, their deadly sin is pride, which at first sounds really strange because they're so generous and they they give to people just relentlessly. But it's pride because um, – and here's how they nurture it. So every deadly sin, there are certain things that each of us do in order to grow that sin. So for them, they do it through abundant compliments. So every now and then you'll meet somebody that's like high to, and they're just like – they're just like putting it on thick. They're just like, you're just the best ever. You're like so good. Like, and mm-hmm. and it gets to a point where eventually you're like, this this feels weird. Like this doesn't seem genuine. It seems sort of forced. Um, and that's that's kind of what is going. That's what's going on there. They're like, th- it's it becomes even though they're complimenting you, it's kind of about them um, being perceived as a really you know generous person. So they give lots of um, lots of compliments, a lot of accommodations. So you know, hey, would you do this thing for me? And they cancel their plans so that they can come do this for you. Uh, so a lot of personal sacrifices and helpful deeds. 
So the the psychological defense for these folks is um, is repression. So what happens is they take their needs, their wants, their desires, and their awareness of their pride, and they put it out of mind, and they have no awareness of those things. So their mantra becomes, other people are needy, but I am not. And so they perceive other people as needy, but they, they don't feel that they have those needs. So their idol becomes about being indispensable. Um, and so then the question becomes, okay, so in light of all of that, how can the helper experience transformation in Christ? And for them, the virtue that, that these folks really need to nurture is humility. So humility is this idea of like, you know, saying to yourself and other people, I need help. I have needs. I rely on other people. I rely on God. God is present with me. Um, it is a good thing to receive from others and to say, I have my own desires and that those are good things that God has given me. So, uh, so that's, that's the helper. Yeah. You guys have any insider questions on that one? I don't think so. We were going to wait until the end to say okay. what yeah. we are, but I wonder if we should go ahead and say, it. <laughs> or should we let you just let you let you tell us about all of them? All right. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep rolling then. So, um, yeah, okay, so the next it. personality type is, is number three and they're known as the achiever. Um, another, another term for these folks is the effective personality. Um, these folks get stuff done. So, uh, when they're resourceful, the resourceful traits of the achiever are that they're efficient. They really enjoy motivating others. Um, they're adaptable, they're successful, they're energetic, they're self-assured, they're competent. Uh, these, these folks really do well in the business world, they do well in ministry because they're very goal oriented. Um, and so they set goals and then they frequently, they accomplish those goals because they're deeply committed to them. Now, the non-resourceful traits of the, of the achiever are that, uh, they become extremely self-conscious about their image and about how other people perceive them. Um, they become addicted to positive attention. Uh, so like America, like we produce a ton of threes, you know, in a culture of Instagram and social media and, you know, everybody's kind of like, you know, crawling over each other for their, you know, their 15 minutes of fame. And so we, we just produce a lot of threes, especially now, um, uh, you know, I should say different. We produce a lot of non-resourceful threes. So, and, and Jesse, um, don't a lot of Americans score, even if they're not a three, they might score kind of highly in, like might present as a three because that's what our culture kind of creates. Is that true? Yeah, it, it, we see very commonly uh, three is a score that we pay a lot of attention to. So even if somebody has a different core type, they could still have a lot of three in them. And depending on whether that's a resourceful or a non-resourceful score, but if it's a non-resourceful three score, we, we really dive in there um, because if there's a lot of non-resourceful three, that, that person is really, really struggling with, with image. And they're really struggling with uh, the belief that I am what I do. And this idea of, um, yeah, non-resourceful achievers struggle with self-deception. That that's kind of their biggest their biggest struggle, and they become 
you know, they become manipulative and they become calculating because everything is about succeeding. The ends justify the means. And so, um, so all the relationships become uh, in service of their success and they end up having this sort of chameleon like persona. Like when they're with you, you feel like they've, they've adopted your language. You're talking the same page, but then they go to the next meeting with the next person and everything changes. And that's just because at the end of the day, they, they want to be successful. And so it can, it can really kind of, you know, it can become pretty, pretty dark um, and pretty isolating and lonely for these folks. Um, so that, so their deadly sin is deceit. And, you know, as I said earlier, we lie to ourselves first. So these folks, you know, they're lying to themselves um, and then, and then others. So, and they nurture that through networking and, needing positive regard from others and achievements. Um, and they defend themselves psychologically by identification. So they identify with all their successes and, um, and they believe that they are what they do. So their idol becomes workaholism and success. And the way that they're transformed is through truth. Truth is the idea that they've got a handful of folks in life that they're taking the mask off with and it's the unedited version of them. So they are just, uh, they're going, you know, with these two, three, four folks, and they're just like, these folks are not all that impressed with me. They don't care whether I succeed or fail. Um, and they're still going to love me and be my friends. And I can be honest with these people. So those really trustworthy relationships, you know, are game changers for folks with a lot of three. All right, I'm going to go on to the four. You guys ready? Okay. Yep. All right, so um, so four. So this is the originalist or uh, the creative, the romantic, um, and these folks. When they're resourceful, they're they're really caring. Uh, they have a heightened sense of beauty. They're really sensitive. Uh, they are original individualists. They're emotionally intuitive. They're they're really intense. They're expressive. Uh, when they're non-resourceful, they have a need to feel special. In other words, they need to be different and they need to not be understood um, because if you're understood, then you're not unique and you're not special. So these folks uh, can create situations where um, they intentionally make sure that other people think that they're unusual or that they're misunderstood in some way. They become dramatic and moody. They tend to overreact. They're snobbish. They're like the keepers of cool <laughs> Uh, they feel misunderstood. They're melancholic. <laughs> yeah, they're they're melancholic. Uh, mm -hmm. They're never quite satisfied. Uh, they're just like longing machines. Like they are just dreaming constantly about a better possible future. Um, so they end up really kind of people experience them as as having their head in the clouds. But every time you pull them back to reality, they're like really discontent about it. So their deadly sin is actually envy. And what they're envious of is they're envious of anyone or anything that they perceive as special, unique, or beautiful. And they wish that they were identified with that. So it's really hard for these folks to celebrate beautiful things uh, unless somehow they have ownership over those things. So these folks, their, their psychological um, defense is through introjection. And introjection is this idea that they carry with them the unhealed pain from their past and, and don't want to let it heal. So they're able to walk around because of all the stuff they've been through and they're able to go, 
no one understands me. No one understands what I've been through. I'm, I'm different than everyone else. And so their idol becomes being unique. And, and what's really tough for these folks is that they're just so dissatisfied in life because they're carrying unhealed pain from their past. They're, that it's making them discontent and melancholy in the present. Uh, but then they're always longing for life to be more special, special in the future. So, um, so the way that these folks are transformed is through balance and equanimity. So the idea that they have to uh, move from a place where they're unaccepting of themselves and they're emotionally overreactive and moving to a place where they're accepting of their unique self in Christ and they become emotionally attuned. So they get to a place where not only do my emotions play a factor in what I decide is true and good and how I'm going to respond to life, but I, I start listening to other people. I start pulling back and thinking before I'm acting and reacting. Um, I'm patient and I'm going to wait instead of uh, just responding, you know, with the first emotional gut instinct that comes out. So, um, so that is the romantics. Yeah. So on, on my staff, um, there's actually on, on a team of five, there are three that are fours. So, uh, so we, we got a whole lot of, which is also why like our, 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 you know, our entire office almost looks like an art gallery. Uh, that's what happens when you get a bunch of fours in the office. Um, so all the folks that I just described, those are all heart triad. So that, that concludes the heart triad. So let's, let's move on into the head triad. So uh, we're going to start with number five. Number five is the wise person. The wise person. They're also called the thinker. Um, and the wise person um, – is exactly what you think. Like these, these people, oftentimes they're counselors. They, they gravitate towards uh, jobs like counseling or they're engineers. Uh, these are probably the folks that put us on the moon. Um, these folks have uh, an objective point of view. They have creative minds. They're good listeners. They're often scholarly. They're really witty. Um, and they usually don't repeat their, their witty remarks. So you kind of catch it under the breath once, you know, but it's like awesome. <laughs> like it's like uh, super mm-hmm. clever. Um, they're really perceptive, great analyzers of data, and they're, they're really reflective. Uh, these folks tend to be more introverted. They tend to, um, really relish and enjoy alone time and space to think. Now, when they become non-resourceful, they become overly detached. So it's not enough just to pull back a little bit to have an objective point of view. They continuously pull back farther and farther. And what happens is they become uncaring and then as they get older, um, when it really becomes bad, they actually end up not having any close friends or very, very few close friends. Uh, they become reclusive. Uh, they become greedy and, and not just economically, but emotionally and relationally. They just become very, very stingy with uh, giving any part of themselves away to others. They actually also become hoarders uh, because of their need to be independent and their reluctance to be interdependent. So they just end up acquiring a lot of stuff because they might need it eventually uh, because they don't depend on anyone else. Um, and they're, the other thing is this, they're actually really terrified of their feelings. So they do everything they can uh, when they're non-resourceful to ignore um, or disown their, their emotions. So their, their deadly sin is actually greed. And again, it's, it's, emotional, it, it's mostly a, a relational greed. So uh, they nurture that through the belief that enough is never enough. They hoard and they withhold. They're, they're afraid of not being enough and they just withdraw from relationships. So um, 
so the way that they psychologically defend themselves is actually through isolation. Um, they just, they just relationally pull back from everybody. And, um, so their, their idol is knowing it all. Uh, and they have to know it all because they need to be their own person, an island set apart from everyone else. And, uh, so they, you know, we always joke around like when they're non-resourceful, like the rest of us would be like, Hey, let's go learn a new dance. And we'd be like, how do you do that? You go out on the dance floor and you start learning. Well, they would learn it like watching YouTube and they would say like, Oh, I know a new dance, but they didn't do anything. So, uh, so how are they transforming? It's through generosity. So especially just giving themselves away. Um, so it's showing up for friends, special events. Um, it is, you know, secretly paying for everybody's dinner when no one else is, you know, paying attention, you pay the check and you slide out the back. Um, it is having a handful of folks that you check in on on a regular basis to ask how they're doing, and um, so so just relational generosity is a uh, is a big deal for these folks. So that's number five. Number six is the loyalist, the loyalist. So these are like your original Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America. Like these these folks were like prepared for anything that's coming down the pipeline. Uh, they're deeply loyal friends really reliable. They're committed to security. Uh, they're responsible. They're honorable. They're steady. They're prepared. They're dependable. Um, now when they're non-resourceful, they are constant warriors. They're self-doubters. They're suspecting. They're wary. They're uptight. They're uncertain. They assume the worst. Um, and all of that comes from their deadly sin, which is fear. And they nurture that fear they nurture that fear through doubt. Um, but here's the thing. Their doubt, while they doubt other people, the biggest person they doubt is themselves. These folks really, really struggle uh, frequently with trusting their own gifts and their own instincts. And so oftentimes they look to other people for security and they'll look to other people to tell them what is good and strong and you know reliable and, um, and so these folks really oftentimes, uh, sort of will kind of put one foot in one foot out, uh, in terms of new initiatives, you know, trailblazing, uh, those things are hard for them. So, uh, because they don't trust themselves. So they can get to a point where they nurture the fear through, uh, catastrophic thinking, uh, worst case scenario thinking, paranoid thoughts, and, um, and just suspicion, suspicion that everybody's got a secret agenda that, you know, that no one else is aware of. Um, and the way that they defend themselves psychologically is through projection and projections is idea that, um, projections, this idea that the loyalists, they themselves are struggling with their own doubts, their own insecurities, uh, their own sins, their own shortcomings their Um, and, and what they do is instead of just going, those are mine and mine alone, they generalize all of those and put those on everybody else. If I'm struggling with this, you must be struggling with this. If I, if I'm second guessing, you know, this is a right decision, then you must be second guessing it. If, um, if I'm afraid of this, then you secretly must be, or if you're not afraid of this, well, now my job is I need to make you afraid of it because that's what love okay, looks so, like. Jesse, this is Kayla. Can can I pop in here and ask a question? So I was listening and, and I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So we were listening to the 
the liturgist is a podcast and they did an Enneagram episode and they talked about sixes and it was kind of a light bulb moment for me as I was listening. They kind of went down this little rabbit trail of saying that probably a lot of people are sixes, whether they identify as a six or not because of that fear. And we've seen some of um, maybe the not so great side effects or results and repercussions of making decisions out of fear kind of happening in our own country right now. Do you speak into any of that at all? What your thoughts are on that? Yeah. So um, there's some research that says that six is the most common personality type in the world, like globally, which would make sense because the majority of the world, you know, struggles with um, instability is just a common thing. You know, people experience war and um, or experience severe poverty and so when people grow up in, in unstable situations, of course, like that's going to provoke fear, you know, it's going to bring fear out, like what's, what's around the corner. Um, and here in the United States, definitely like we're in a season where there's, there's a lot of six at play and it's not lost on me. Sixes, you know, we'll talk about eights in a second, but sixes are really attracted to uh, the leadership of eights. Um, and um, when, when we get to the non-resourceful eight and I describe it, um, it's it's kind of impossible to not think of our current political climate. Um, and so, um, so yes, I think I think a lot of six played into uh, into the last election for sure. Yeah. So I mean, the the idol of the six is safety. And so, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, we could go on forever. I mean, the NRA like. The whole thing is the whole fear behind it is they're going to come for our guns, and and you know and so mm-hmm. so a lot of gun policy is decided centered around the idea that what happens if they take my guns? Um, and, and yeah, so so how is the six transformed? They're transformed through courage, and uh, courage is the idea that um, that God will provide all that's needed, and that. You know, the mantra for a courageous six is God is for me and will care for me. And we always tell people of all the nine personality types, the most brave are sixes because sixes get up in the morning and they know everything that could go wrong Mm. and they still go out the door and decision by decision, they continue to go forward. They continue to be resilient. They continue to get back up Um, because here's the thing. A lot of the other personality types, like we ain't thinking about it. You know, we're not thinking about what's going to go wrong. We're not brave. We just ain't thinking about it. And so for, for the sixes, it's like, it's like, right. you know, they've, they've already thought about the five different things that could totally, you know, destroy their life and they're still going. And so, um, so we always just, uh, we always want to point out the fact that um, all of us can learn so much from sixes because of, of their bravery. Yeah, okay. So number seven, the joyful person Joyful person. So uh, these people are not on party planning committees. These people are the party planning committee. Um, so these folks are like <laughs> super funny. They're really, really playful. Uh, they have like crazy imaginations. They're always going, what if, what if, what if? Uh, and uh, they need change and stimulation because like – all the world is amazing and needs to go be enjoyed. So these folks are like always wanting to go out and try 
everything. You ask them what kind of ice cream they want. Do you want this flavor or this flavor? <laughs> they will always say both um, because they they just want to try it all. Um, yes. So they radiate radiate optimism. Uh, they can, they're really lighthearted. So they really love kind of just joking around and having fun and having a good time. Uh, they're really enthusiastic. Um, they're they're curious. They're not afraid to be alone. So like I always just think of like Kirk Franklin. I'm like, dude, that guy's a seven. Like he's just like always out like hyping the crowd and you know <laughs> screaming and going crazy and just having a great time. And you can't help but be in a good mood when he's like going off doing his thing. So that's a resourceful. That's a resourceful part of the seven. When they're non-resourceful, they end up avoiding anxiety and pain at any cost. And, um, so anything or anyone mm. that makes them uncomfortable is put out of sight. Um, so they begin to avoid people that make them uncomfortable or scenarios. They definitely will avoid conversations that they don't want to have. And in fact, the more that other people will want to press it, the person will become, they'll start saying really vague response. I don't know. Um, they'll start shrugging or they'll they'll literally make a joke and it'll be super inappropriate timing but it's because they just so desperately need to lighten the mood so they they fear commitment the idea that something or someone's going to just tie them down and so these folks uh folks with a really high seven oftentimes um can marry later in life because they just really struggle with the idea of commitment um they can become spacey and scattered because they just get lost in their kind of dreaming um, uh, also folks on the Enneagram, if they have really, really high seven, non-resourceful seven, we also, also encourage folks like, we're not saying it, that you have it, but we just encourage folks to consider the possibility of getting tested for ADD. Um, that's often where it shows up is, is in the non-resourceful mm-hmm. seven. Um, so experiences become more important than people. So, um, so everything is about going and having a great time and they're willing to kind of drop certain folks in their life in order to go have those experiences. They become unreliable, irresponsible. They become narcissistic because everything is about just having a great time. And then they, they often joke around to distract themselves. So their deadly sin is gluttony. Um, and so it's just constant uh, consumption. So they demand variety and options. They're always seeking new experiences. They're afraid of missing out. Like FOMO is like huge for these folks. Uh, and they, uh, they avoid pain. So their psychological defense is, is sublimation. And, and this is what I said a second ago. So anything or anyone painful is put out of awareness. And this part's important. Pain is it's buried and it's turned into something good, but without sufficient time for that painful experience to have really been a help. So the painful experience, they put a positive spin on it when they haven't really processed it or experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they move through it way too fast. Yeah. And so, um, and, and oftentimes it just sounds like refrigerator magnets. Like it doesn't sound like real. Um, and and uh, it's because it's just too hard. So they move on too quickly. So their, their idol becomes pleasure. And the way that they're transformed is through sober-mindedness. And, um, and what that basically means is this, they've got to become realistic. So, you know, their engagement with God, it brings them in touch with the dark parts of themselves. And then through grace, they can enter this, a joy of substance as opposed to a joy of avoidance. So, um, so it's the ability to accept life as life is and to accept that God's good in the midst of all of these things. 
Mm. So that's that's the seven. All right. So that's that's the uh, that's the head triad. We're almost there. Keep on plowing. So this is uh, we're almost there. All right. So, uh, yes. so we're now into the gut triad. <laughs> the gut triad. And uh, so let's uh, start off with number eight. This is the powerful person. The powerful person. So the powerful person when um, when they are resourceful, they are strong and they are intense. Uh, they stick up for the little guy. Um, they have a very keen sense of the folks around them that are vulnerable uh, to being oppressed, and they want to leverage their strength to care for those people. They're very high energy. We say all other personalities on the Enneagram run on 110, eights run on 220. <laughs> they have infinite more energy than anyone else. They can do like five times more than any other personality type because – they just have so much energy. Um, and as a result of that, they make great leaders. They're really, really confident and bold leaders. People naturally follow them. Um, they're really confident and they're fearless. And they're empathetic towards those who have less than them. And uh, and even, this is important too, even if they're resourceful, eights hate lack of clarity. They want the other person just to get to the point, be clear, don't say too many details and don't beat around the bush. Just be straight. So, uh, so H just really, really appreciate people <laughs> just being very direct with them. Now, when they become non-resourceful, uh, the eights become aggressive and they become domineering. So they become very controlling. Uh, they see life as hostile and threatening. So they're kind of always on the defense, uh, or, they're always on the offense because they're always sort of attacking, trying to get to the next thing, even when it's not necessary. Uh, they become insensitive and calloused. And the reason for this is that they become afraid of anything that's tender because tender things to them get mis mistaken for being weakness um, instead of being good and beautiful. And so, um, so they oftentimes will say or joke or make statements that they can really be cruel uh, to those that are around them. Um, they have an inordinate fear of being controlled. So they almost become paranoid about someone else having control or authority over them. Uh, they have, they find pleasure in being against. And, uh, and so they'll intentionally pick fights because it's just kind of fun. Uh, like getting in the boxing ring is just like fun for them. Um, yeah, I had a boss once that uh, I was. He was an eight, and I had a disagreement with him, and I couldn't get him to change his mind. And so I went to him to his in his office, and uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put the gloves on. Like I'm gonna just match him. And it got loud and louder and louder <laughs> until by the end he changed his mind and he said, "Okay, we'll do it your way." And I, from my perspective, my perspective, I was like, "Oh, I was so." like insubordinate just then he stood up from his desk stretched and goes, man, that was fun. And then walked out the door. <laughs> so what number are you, Jesse? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a four, three. So I'm a, I'm a creative effective. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, when they're, when they're non-resourceful vengeance, uh, becomes a big deal to them. So, uh, they have a real strong desire to, to get even, so if they if they perceive someone has slighted them, um, then they 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 almost can't stop themselves, even if it's a trivial slight. Um, 
And it really, really becomes a big deal uh, if it was done publicly. Um, when an eight is embarrassed by someone else publicly, uh, it, it's very, very hard for them. Um, and the most common thing that people say in a relationship with a non-resourceful eight is, I don't feel heard by you. Um, non-resourceful eights really struggle to listen to other people. So their deadly sin is shamelessness. Um, the idea that they just, they lose all sense of appropriate boundaries. There's not, there's like a boundlessness to them and they nurture that through anger and injustices and triumphing over their enemies and resentment and revenge and outrages and affronts. Um, and their psychological defense is just denial. So people will say, uh, you know, you must be scared. And they'll say, I'm not scared. Oh, uh, how are things in your marriage? Everything is great. Uh, how, how are you guys, you know, doing, I know you guys, you know, have got to be struggling financially. Nope. We're good. Like it's just literally anything that is perceived as weakness is just flat out denied. Um, yeah. Anybody thinking of any political leaders yeah. yet? <laughs> Who could that <laughs> um, yeah. It gives you context for like why our president responds to everything on Twitter even when it's that's exactly ridiculous. what I was just thinking. Yep. Yeah. Even when it's yeah. like, yeah, it just, I mean, yeah, this... it's like, you're the leader of the free oh, world. Go ahead, Jesse. Get off Twitter, you know, and, and who cares what a late night host <laughs> said about you? Like you're the president. <laughs> yeah. So their idols, mm-hmm. their idols all yes. about control and power. Yes. And the way that they're transformed is through mercy. Um, so mercy leads the powerful person beyond revenge and it redirects their strength towards compassion and kindness. So instead of leveraging all of their strength towards, um, I'm going to show everyone how powerful I am. Instead, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pursue compassion and kindness, um, especially in caring for those uh, that are vulnerable and in need. And so, um, but part of that journey is that they have to embrace their own hurt and their own pain. And they have to relinquish their fear of being controlled mm-hmm. um, and suffering more pain. They, they have to recognize that they are afraid and they have to own that and then they have to be able to work through that. But the more that they deny that they're afraid, the bigger the problem gets. It's, when you, it's why you see uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of leaders are eights. And, um, and, and honestly, and I, you know, it's funny. That, again, our president is another example of this. But um, – when I, when I see a staff, if there's a ministry and there's a staff that's just constantly turning over, oftentimes I am able to look and go, oh, most likely the leader is an eight. Because most likely what's happening is that they're going to plow forward no matter what, and everyone else just can't keep up, and it's all their fault, when in reality it's a failure mm-hmm. of leadership. And it usually has something to do with that leader's fear of being controlled and that they are running from their own pain. So, yeah. So it's no surprise to, I mean, I'm like not surprised at all yeah. that the white house has had constant turnover. That's kind of, that's that's kind, so of kind of, kind of classic non-resourceful aid. So. <laughs> we need some yeah. Jesus up in there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Um, so, <laughs> Everywhere, uh, obviously, uh, okay, so so number nine, the peacemaker, the peacemaker. So um, the peacemakers, uh, these folks are awesome. So when they come into the room, so if an eight comes in the room, you can kind of feel their electricity and their presence. 
when a nine comes in the room, everybody just kind of breathes easier. Like they are just super relaxed. They're really easygoing. Uh, these folks are reconcilers. They're mediators of creative compromise. Uh, they're really receptive to other people. They're non-judgmental. Like, I feel like I could be like, oh man, yesterday I accidentally drowned a cat and they would just be like, I'm sorry that happens. You know, like they're just like, they're just like not judgmental as people. Like they're just so kind. Um, they are, um, they're really, really comfortable. Like they, you know, these are the folks that like will come to your place and like, they'll just take their shoes off. You know, even if you're like not best friends, you know, they're just really comfortable. Uh, they're diplomatic um, and they're really patient. Now, when it gets uh, when it gets to the non-resourceful side, uh, the peacemaker they avoid conflict at all cost. They become so dedicated to peace that um, that they don't want any conflict at all. And the number one place they don't want conflict is inside of themselves. So um, they a lot of nines live with a feeling of being overwhelmed. I don't have what it takes to do this thing called life. Um, and so they feel really overwhelmed and they become self belittling. Nines are re like nines just tend to be super hard on themselves. Um, and so when other people criticize them, it, it just really echoes with, uh, with nines pretty loud and, and for a pretty long time. They, um, they become passive aggressive because they, they're so uncomfortable being direct with people because it could create conflict that they end up becoming appeasers and what they, a non-resourceful nine believes that by appeasing this other person, um, I'm, I'm achieving true reconciliation. When in reality, like, that's not reconciliation and that's not true peace. Um, because it always kind of comes back to haunt them later. Um, non-resourceful nines are really procrastinating. Mm. Um, they just put things off and put things off and put things off because they're hard and they're uncomfortable. Uh, they're indecisive. So they constantly say, I don't know. Um, and they're oblivious and they're often just numb to things. Um, and the big struggle for the nine is they often, they have learned through life, other people will make decisions for me. There's not much reason for me to make them myself. And so nines often pass off life to those around them. Um, and they, on some level, probably believe that they're being helpful by doing that. But the truth is that um, they're actually burdening the people around them because they're not making any decisions themselves. So it's always up to everybody else to make decisions. Um, hmm. And so the nine really has to do the work of learning how to have thoughts, even if it means you don't know what you want, say what you don't want. Um, do do the reverse. So their, their deadly sin is laziness, and especially laziness as it pertains to internal um, the internal work. So listening to a sermon and then really considering it. What does that sermon mean? Hmm to my life? What does it mean? Uh, and what is God trying to tell me right now? Um, it's having a, an experience and then later going, how did I feel about that experience? What did I think about that experience? What does that experience mean in light of my life? Um, and so it's, it's doing the internal work, but they nurture this laziness through excessive TV, media, food and drink. Um, nine, nines with an eight wing tend to be workaholics. Nines with a one wing tend to be um, high level enthusiasts, uh, hobbyists. So, so they're playing lots of video games. When you're saying wing, for our listeners that don't understand what that is, can you just briefly yeah, yeah, explain yeah. that? Yeah, every core type, whatever, um, every core type uh, can have a wing. Um, and the wing is basically like your core type is your black coffee, the wing is your creamer. 
So, um, oh, that's a great way to think of it. Yeah, I love that. So, your core type, um, so mm-hmm. example, so if you, if you were a two, your wing could be either a one or a three. If you're a three, your wing could be either a two or a four. So, it's going to be immediately on one side, and it's just, it flavors your core personality. Um, and so that's why you can meet somebody, you can meet two different nines and they're going to be dramatically different. A nine with an eight wing is pulling all the energy of the eight. So they're just go, 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 go. Um, but they've got the easygoing, likable side to them. A nine with a one wing, they, they tend to be more, you know, laid back. They take a little longer. Uh, they're not exactly in a huge hurry to get things done. You know, it's just a different, it's just a different pace. So do you have only one wing or the other? Can you go back and forth? Yeah. I mean, you can, um, you can have high scores on both sides. And in those cases, it would be, you know, you don't necessarily even have a true wing. Um, you just kind of, you just happen to have both those things, but most commonly folks have a core type and then a pretty strong, you know, some, some level of wing on, on one side or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the yeah. peaceful person, their psychological defense is numbing and narcotization. So they just numb out all the stuff that they don't like. So they do that through working too much. They do that through playing video games too much. They do that through going to parties too much. Um, it's just uh, no surprise. Folks with a lot of nine almost always have a lot of seven. Th- mm-hmm. Those two have a strong correlation to one another. Um that's interesting because they're not mm. wings, but they can still have yeah. like high on both. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah, same thing. So eights have a lot of three, um, and a lot of threes have a lot of eight, and a lot of uh, five have a lot of nine. So there's 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 certain ones that they kind of correspond a little bit to one another. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting. So the idol the idol for the nine is is um, is harmony. And the way that they're transformed is faith, but faith as action. Not faith as belief, but faith as action. So um, it's the idea of doing the internal work, of um, slowing down enough to process things, think through things, but then uh, but then they turn those things into practical action. So our mantra, what we always tell people that if, have a lot of nine is, Till the day you die, till the Lord takes you home, every single day you need to wake up and you need to make a list and then you need to do the list. And it could be three things, but it's the mantra is make a list, do the list, make a list, do the list. Every day, every day, every day. Um, because the nine will think about it all day long and then never actually do any of those things. All right, last one. So, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I'm like, we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yes. sorry to all the ones we didn't forget. Oh, almost. almost. <laughs> and the ones are very organized. They would know. They know that something. I know. They, would, they, would, they, would want, they would want justice for the fact that we left them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, the ones, uh, these folks are the reformers. Uh, the reformers, uh, other, other, pers- uh, other Enneagrams will call them like the good person. Uh, but I, I like reformer. I think it's a, a better term. So, these folks are, um, when they're resourceful, they're honest, they're hardworking, they're intense, they're dedicated to practical action, um, they're comfortable, they strive to overcome adversity, and they're highly ethical. Um, these folks are often, they gravitate towards being uh, attorneys um, mm-hmm. or judges. 
Um, they or um, working in politics in some way or civil service in some way. They're they're very oriented around fairness and goodness. Um, when they become non-resourceful, they become overly critical. And the reason for this is that they, of all personality types, these folks are the hardest on themselves. Um, these folks are unbelievably, when they're non-resourceful, unbelievably cruel to themselves. Um, all day long, they belittle themselves, they yell at themselves, they're mad at themselves. And what ends up happening is they that spills out on everybody else. Um, so they're really strict on themselves. They become know-it-alls. Um, they're not very adaptable because of their emotional rigidity. So this personality type actually, um, I, I can oftentimes identify by their physical posture. Um, so these folks actually tend to be more stiff physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, cause they've told themselves no their entire life. I want to do this thing. No, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. And so they have beat That's on so themselves. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. They've beat on yeah. themselves so bad that, that it physically begins mm-hmm. to manifest. And so, um, uh, so all that to say is actually, you know, a sidebar, all, you know, exercise is good for everybody, but everybody in the gut triad, especially because their body wears their personality more than any other type. So for the eights, they have so much energy that they need to go get mm. it out before it spills out on someone else. They need to like go beat it into the pavement for nines. They need to go exercise because it rouses mm-hmm. them to life. Um, you know, nines are almost like sleepwalkers and it sort of wakes them up for ones. <laughs> it, for ones, it loosens them up. Um, it, it gets sort of, it, it sort of breaks down that rigid sort of feeling. Um, and it, it, um, it invites them to become sort of playful and free, um, versus sort of being intense and serious and strict on themselves. Um, so, so again, so the so the non final non resourceful traits of the reformer are that uh, they can really make other people feel judged um, um, because they judge themselves so hardly, and they end up judging other people as well. Um, so their deadly sin is anger, and they nurture that through criticizing themselves and others. They do it through we, our languages. We say, "Oh, you've got a lot of um, musts and oughts and shoulds." Um, mm-hmm. Well, we must do that. Well, we ought to do that. Well, I should do yeah. that. And so that script is going off constantly in their head. Um, and they, they also nurture it through good deeds and being in control. So, um, so their psychological defense is, is called reaction formation. And that is, I want to do X, but I'm so sinful and it must be so wrong because I want to do it that I better do Y instead. So this is where you get a lot of the like pastors that'll say like, I just I didn't want to plant a church, but I knew that that must be what God wanted me to do because I didn't want to do it, you know. And so, um, you know, so like whatever it is that they personally desire, they believe at their core that they're so sinful that even their desires can't be trusted. So they need to do the opposite of whatever it is that they desire. Um, and so, um, so they create really, really yeah. rigid oughts and shoulds moral categories. And then uh, expect themselves and everybody else to work within those. So their their idol becomes perfection. They are just constantly seeking after perfection. And the way that they're transformed is through patience. Um, So they recognize that they're not right about everything. 
so that there is a right and a wrong, but that there's a real world. Um, so an example of this would be, you know, I've got a, a close friend who works with, um, who works within uh, the abortion alternatives uh, ministry. And, um, and by her ethics, she would say abortion is wrong. Um, and the assumption would be then that she would fight for every single law that would completely 100% eliminate it. But as she's done the work um, on herself and the reality that there's a real world that we live in, um, she's able to go, you know what? Every time we restrict it more and more, abortions actually go up. And so there's a, so there's, she's able to relinquish mm-hmm. some of her oughts and shoulds ideal, idealism, moral idealism, and able to go in the real world that I'm living in, when these certain things are offered, the truth is more babies survive. And so, um, and so she still carries like yeah. this righteous indignation towards evil. I mean, that's what she does every day with her life. Um, but at the same time, she lives in the real world where she's able to accept, you know, the facts that are presented to her um, and able to be a part of just that unfolding process of God at work. So that is all nine types. Woohoo! I feel like that was amazing. I, Way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I've heard yeah, all of that before. It's every time. just super helpful every time. I feel like I understand yeah. everybody now. Everything's done. Yeah, yeah for sure. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't, I think it would be helpful for people who are listening just to hear our types. Um, so, Jesse, yeah, you right. said you're a four with a three wing, right? Shannon, what are you? I am a nine with an eight wing. And Kayla? I'm an eight with a seven wing. And I am also an eight with a seven wing. That is that is a whole lot of eight action going on on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot of eight action. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of eight action. And it's interesting because what we've learned in the last couple of years of working closely together in this project is that even though Kayla and I just as an example, are both eights with seven wings, we're very different people, even in the way that we operate in terms of um, like organization and communication. Yeah, give an example of the inbox, Lindsay. It's just so funny. It is so funny. So we share um, a Gmail account for the podcast and Kayla and I are pretty much the ones in there doing stuff. And so (laughs) because um, I, the nine do not ever go (laughs) the nine is sleepy sleeping. But so the other day I was in, or yesterday I was in the Gmail looking for an email and I couldn't find it. And there's like, I don't know how many emails. in There's only like 99. There's like, okay. There's there's a lot. (laughs) It felt to me like hundreds. And so I sent Kayla an email and was like, hey, I'm looking for this one. Do you know where it is? And oh, by the way, can we like clear some of this out? Because it makes me feel claustrophobic. And her response was, I have 14,000 emails (laughs) in my personal inbox. You guys, I have 50 at all times. If I get above 50... I freak out and go and immediately clear out email. So that's just oh my like, gosh, Lindsay, I have less than 10 at all times ever. <laughs> <laughs> I delete multiple times a day. I had no idea that's that anybody so operated like that. No. Yeah, 14,000 yeah. okay. 14, so emails is a I've sign of, of some pretty high seven stuff, right? 
Yeah. Right. I tell people, I have a really strong seven wing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think one analogy I've heard that's really helpful, because a lot of people will kind of go to that reductionist thinking like, well, how there's more than nine types of people. But I've heard the um, example of if you walk into a paint store and you want red, there's dozens, if not hundreds of shades of red. So I think that's helpful in thinking through like how two people, even with the same wing, can be very different and it presents yeah, very differently. Yeah. And even how those colors are made, they're all functionally all colors are made from the same bases, you know, it's just, they're mixed different. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. 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 So Jesse, I'd love to hear because you are doing a lot of this work. I don't know that you're solely doing it within the church and ministry context, but I know that's a lot of what you're doing. So I'd love to hear what is some of the pushback that you hear when it comes to using the Enneagram specifically kind of in that church ministry context. Yeah. Um, so it can happen in a couple of different directions. So um, I remember that um, I was teaching once and uh, there was a guy that was present who was um, like off the charts five and uh, and he like gave me nothing. So like fives are also known for um, if you're a five listening to this, I, I just want to ask you to please work on your mirroring skills. Because all of us in the in the heart triad are like we feel like monkeys trying to like get your attention and you're staring at us blankly, like not giving us anything back. So uh so please please work on your mirroring skills. Mm. Um so uh but there was a there was a guy there and like he's given me nothing. I mean, I'm I'm three hours in at this point and he's like not said anything. He's an older guy. And what it was is that he um, he was a psychologist. You know, he had spent he'd been in practice for thirty years. Mm. Um, he was uh, he was a Christian, so he's going. What is this like phony, you know, psychology junk that you're bringing, you know, before me and before all of my colleagues? So I teach it, and then I get to the five, and he suddenly just cracks up laughing and he throws his hands down and it's almost like what he's saying to me is like, you got me. Like, uh, so we, we get, and, and what was great too, you know, I, I mentioned that the fives are really witty and he, um, I described the five and at the very end he goes, do you want to know what hell is for a five? It's having to go to a party, go, <laughs> it's, it's, it's having to go to a party and mingle eternally. <laughs> So, uh, so all I have to say is like, so we get some pushback where we'll get folks that'll say, you know, this is like phony science. Like it's not, it's, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's not rooted in anything, um, that's quantifiable. So for those folks, we'll just tell people, just try it. And if you find that it's a bust and there's no truth to it, then throw it out. Um, it's, uh, it's not the Bible. So, you know, I'm not all that concerned if, if you accept it into right. your life or not. Um, and most people find it helpful. On the other side, what we'll get is we'll get a lot of folks that are just, um, that will believe scripture is sufficient and that somehow this is an attempt to override scripture or replace scripture or, um, or like we're bringing in some kind of cultish idea, um, and slapping Jesus on it. Yeah. So we'll get those folks as well. Um, and especially, I mean, to be honest, folks with very, very high non-resourceful one can really struggle with the Enneagram. 
because it feels mm. morally yeah. questionable. Um, and so, uh, so for those folks, you know, sometimes we can kind of get them to, you know, soften and give it a shot, but some folks just flat out, they're not going to do it because it feels morally wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that it's, I find that it's helpful as not just to know myself, but really like you were saying at the very beginning to know other people. So even if, you know, somebody, you know, is a one that is not being super resourceful, it's still helpful for me to be able to understand them, whether they ascribe to it or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, Kayla. That's one of the things I really like about the Enneagram is being able to know like, okay, they responded to me this way and I would have preferred they responded differently, but I can understand why they did because I know that they are a whatever. Right? Yeah. So, um, so even when it comes to um, one of the, one of the benefits of the Enneagram, even when it comes to our preaching, we tend to culturally as the church, especially within the evangelical church, we tend to focus um, on the guilt. So we tend to focus on we are guilty sinners, and Christ came as um, as an atonement for our sins, and that is true. Um, the The unfortunate part is we're leaving out two thirds of the other personalities because we're centering the whole thing mm-hmm. just around guilt. Well, well, what about mm-hmm. what about fear? Well, the way that Scripture speaks to that constantly is, "Don't be afraid." Well, who's saying it's someone in person? It's presence. It's the presence of mm-hmm. God that heals mm-hmm. fear. And so why is it that Christ gives us the great commission and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's presence. So, um, so our preaching needs to deal with that. And then, so when I became a Christian, I became a Christian before I even really even understood the idea of substitutionary atonement. I didn't understand that until after I was a believer. And the reason is because I became a Christian in response to one message. And the message was simple. It was you matter to God. Well, uh, my fundamental mm. struggle in life is centered around my shame, the idea that I'm defective, the idea that I'm forgotten, the idea that I'm cast aside. So how does God deal with that? He deals with that by delighting in me. It's by him taking me as a son mm-hmm. and singing over me. It's about him loving me. And it's why a lot of, you know, a lot of people criticize a lot of authors, you know, that write books that are all about God's love for us. And what about God's justice? Well, if you get to, if you pay attention to those folks, it's because they're heart triad folks. They're they're talking about issues of shame, yeah. and so instead of us criticizing them, we need to go. Hey, yeah. it's it's one part of this big, awesome, beautiful gospel, um, and and it's just you know we don't need to shame them for not including the other stuff. But a lot has been said about guilt stuff. We could use a little more on the delight side and a little more on the present side. Yeah, that's good. I feel like we could have you back and talk a lot longer. This is our longest um, episode. <laughs> it is. There's just so much. Yeah. There's so much. So, Jesse, where can people go to learn more about the Enneagram? And Shannon and Kayla, you guys can chime in too if there's resources that you have found helpful. Jesse, you mentioned a test online. Where where would you suggest people if they're unfamiliar? Where do they get yeah, started? So, um, so first, uh, I would recommend the the folks that um, that certified me. Uh, it's a ministry called Crosspoint Ministry. And you can go to their website at crosspointministry.com. Um, and then there's also uh, just online tests you can take. I do not recommend taking any of the free tests. I, I don't 
I don't mm-hmm. think that they're helpful. I think that they're they're fairly inconclusive, um, mm-hmm. and I think that they're more likely to confuse you and do harm than they are to actually be helpful. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I I, I want to discourage mm-hmm. folks um, from doing that. Yeah, I always tell my friends like if you take a test, you still need to read about all the types because the test is probably mm-hmm. not necessarily going to be accurate. So I always tell people to like read through the types and kind yeah. of spend some time with it. But so you think that the ones that you pay for are actually much yeah, more yeah, accurate? Yeah, I do for sure. Um, okay. The uh, the other option is to go to um, weps dot com webs with two S's. So weps dot com, and that test is ten bucks. It takes about thirty minutes to take the test, and what they'll do is they'll email you. Uh, your profile at the end, um, and uh, and it's it's a it's the full test. It's a it's a great one. That's the one we actually use at Love That Neighborhood. It's the one I use for all of my workshops that I do, um, just because it's a it's a fast turnaround. So, um, so that'd be my recommendation. So, uh, a couple others that are really great. Uh, if you're an Instagram person, follow Beth McCord. Um, her Instagram handle is Your Enneagram Coach. And uh, Beth's content is just like brilliant, um, and so uh, so definitely follow her. Um, a, a good introduction is the Road Back to You, um, and and that's kind of a, a hit kind of Enneagram book right now. A really really accessible book. Um, mm-hmm. I don't always agree with every conclusion that they come to in the book, but I, I think it's a wonderful wonderful resource, and and I, I definitely recommend that. So. Um, so yeah, so there's there's a lot of jumping off points. Uh, you know, yeah. this is you can kind of go as deep as you want to into this stuff. Um, you know, I've been doing this for like seven years, and there's still <laughs> stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, I never realized that before. So you know, it it's kind of boundless. Yeah, for sure, mm-hmm. it can be a dark hole. Maybe not a dark hole. It can be a. Deep <laughs> hole. It can also be a dark hole. <laughs> okay, just. It can also, that's true. So Jesse, where can our listeners um, find you and what you're yeah, doing so, online? Yeah, um, so probably the best way is uh, first you can, you can check out our ministry's website at lovethyneighborhood.org. Um, and you can learn all about, uh, we offer social justice internships supported by Christian community uh, for people between the ages of 18 and 30. So you can go to our website to learn all about that. Uh, the second thing is uh, I do host a podcast. And so, uh, we just completed season one and we, we tell true stories. So it's not a round table discussion and it's not a sermon series. Um, we actually go out and we report on Christians engaging in a variety of different issues. So, uh, last season we did topics like racial reconciliation, where we told the story of a white pastor who preached to his white church about racism, uh, and kind of all hell broke loose. And then I know um, nothing we, about that. <laughs> we, we did an episode on uh, gentrification. We did LGBTQ. We did refugees, and so um, and then we're currently working on season two. So uh, any podcasting platform, uh, just look up "Love Thy nice. Neighborhood" and you can find our podcast. Um, and then uh, yeah, you can find us on all social media platforms. Just look for "Love Thy Neighborhood" or "Love Thy Neighborhood Podcast," and you can find us. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us today. I think people are really going to enjoy, enjoy. I, I really just love the way that you, I don't want to say the spin that you put on it, but just the way that you 
communicate the Enneagram through the lens of the gospel is, I think, really meaningful. So I appreciate you taking the time to share all of that with us. Yeah, it's good to be with you all. And uh, yeah, appreciate what you guys are doing with this podcast. Let me, let me, can I say one, one more thing? I know you're trying to wrap it up, but let me add one last thing. Sure. So um, evangelical culture, and I don't mean that politically, but I just mean theologically evangelical culture has been notorious uh, for, um, for really pushing women to disown their eight on the Enneagram because uh, there's a culture that says a godly woman uh, is meek and mild and submissive and gentle and all of these things. And so, um, so I just want to say it's really, really encouraging uh, to, to sit here with three women that are willing to own that and own their eight and own their leadership and own their boldness um, because it's all good. It's all from the, from God and to his glory. And so, uh, so it's really just great just to see you ladies living into who each of you are, uh, unashamedly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate that. All right. Well, we are going to let Jesse go, but before we do, one of the ways that people find the podcast is through iTunes reviews. And so we would love it. We actually added to our Instagram stories and to our website, some in- instructions for how to leave a review. Cause it's not super um, intuitive, but wanted to read one really quickly. And this is from K-H-D-H-S-U and she gave us five stars and said, I thoroughly enjoy this podcast. So far in every episode I've had at least one aha moment. I have a hard time retaining what I read, but I've walked away from every episode of Upside Down Podcast with something that sticks with me throughout the day and even through the weekend. These ladies are very relatable and their combos are real. Love that they each get their peace in and have so many different perspectives in one place. So thank you for leaving that review. If you have enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please just really quickly jump on iTunes and leave us a review and that just helps other people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. We will be back soon.